0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's. Jake, and uh, so glad that you have joined us. Uh, it's a kind of a noteworthy Sunday for us because we are uh, wrapping up a 19 week series where we've walked through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, today we're going to look at how Jesus ends, wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting because you'll notice. He, about to, as Caleb's about to read the passage for us, what you'll notice is um, he doesn't end it with a pep talk and he doesn't end it with a touching story or a, uh, you know, a, 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 he doesn't even end it with a prayer. He, he ends it by pulling in Alan Allen Iverson and talking about practice and he ends it by talking about practice in a way that uh, is captured in a pretty somber, sober warning, and so uh, Caleb is going to read the passage for us this morning. As he does, just just have it in your mind like this is how Jesus ends his most famous sermon. Okay, be thinking about that. Caleb, take it away, man. This is Matthew twenty. Uh, 20 sorry, Matthew seven twenty four through twenty seven. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Caleb. Okay, um, so this week I've been thinking about uh, what it would be like if I ever ended a sermon in this way. Can you can you you just picture that? Like just like imagine with me that I just gave the best sermon you have ever heard. Clearly, you have to really use your imagination here. But like you're just blown away by what you know the sermon, and I'm wrapping it up, and I'm you know I'm kind of feeling myself, and so I just say, hey, hey, uh, like y'all need to know. If you put into practice everything that I just said then you're, man, you're like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. And hey, the storms of life come, you're going to be fine. But if you don't put into practice what I've just been saying, then you are a fool. And when the storms of life come, you're going to fall with a great Crash. Is that it? Is that the sermon? Do we get to go home now? No. And can you imagine if that's if that's how I ended? But guys, that's how Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. Now, how wild is that? This morning, I want us to uh, think about one kind of big question, and that is, why did he end it in that way, <laughs> right? Well, like, why end it with this somber, sober warning? This stark, like. Fall with a great crash kind of warning. Why do you end it that way? But before we get to that question, let's make sure that we kind of understand what Jesus has been saying. Okay, so let me just make a couple observations from the passage. I think they're important, worth pointing out. The first is, notice in verse 24 when he starts off by saying, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, he's specifically referring back to the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so that's, that's the context here. He's just wrapping it up. He's like, whoever hears these words of mine, the Sermon on the Mount. Then you are, and then the next observation is that he puts, as you can probably pick up on, he puts a lot of emphasis on this idea of practice, doesn't he? Like if you just compare verse 24 and 26, then, like, you know, here's what we see. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, but verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into, into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Do you see uh, that the, the, the wise man and the foolish man actually have a lot in common here? Like they, they, uh, they, all, they both hear what Jesus has been saying. They are both building a house. They both, as the parable goes on, experience a storm. Like all those things are the same. The only thing that really differentiates the wise person, the Foolish person is whether or not they put what Jesus has said into practice. Uh, that's clearly Jesus' emphasis here. So don't miss that. Okay, third, third thing to point out. Jesus doesn't just contrast in this passage a, a good and a evil man, but a wise and a foolish man. Did you notice that? See, I think sometimes we might read in good and evil. But it's not what he's talking about. In fact, in the in the Greek, the oh, Greek word for wise is phronimos, and phronimos means uh, smart or intelligent or thoughtful or enlightened. And the Greek word for full is moros, which is where we get our word moron from, and it means uh, stupid or unenlightened or you know not thoughtful. And so Jesus, like, it, it's, it's helpful to see. He, he's not saying, hey, the, the, the person who makes it through the storm is the person who's doing all these good things compared to the other person who is an evil person. That's why he doesn't get through the storm. No, he, he's saying, you "No, know, it's a wise person that gets through the storm. Why? Because a wise person actually thinks about what they're building their life on, what their foundation of life is, what's directing how they live. And then foolish person, a a moron. A a non-thinking person is someone who doesn't consider what they're building their life on, what's directing how they live. Okay, he says, next thing to pay attention to is he says, uh, the wise person builds their house on the rock. Now, let's ask, what or who is the rock that Jesus is referring to here? And, And in case you're wondering, it's not Dwayne Johnson. You know, is Jesus not, not, not talking about the rock in that way? It, I knew that that joke was not going to land well, but I stuck it in there. I kept it in there. I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyways. Um, but what's interesting is that he not only is he not talking about the rock, he's not talking about him as being the rock. He's not talking about Jesus being the rock. He's being more specific than that. He's, he's saying the rock is actually... Uh, The practice of his teachings. His teachings is the rock. You build your life on his teachings by practicing his teachings. That's what makes someone a wise person. But then he says, the fool is the one who builds his house on the sand. Now, what's the sand? Well, specifically, the sand is anyone else's thoughts on how to live. See, the, the, the sand could be your ideas of how to live, what you think is good or evil, what you think is wise or foolish. Or it could be the world's or society's views on how to live. Or it could be your company's views or your friend's views or even your parents' views on how to live. It's anything else other than what Jesus says, his teachings, specifically from the Sermon on the Mount on how to live. To live. And the next thing to point out from here is he says it matters on what you're building your life on. Because the storm is coming. The, the storm will come. And, uh, you know, I'm just here to encourage you this morning. But, like, Jesus is a real realist. Like, he, I, I appreciate this about him. Like, he, he's clear that it matters what we build our life on because there will be a storm. Now, there's debate among biblical scholars on what the storm is, like when he talks about the rain coming and, you know, and then the, 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 the streams rising and the wind blowing, like what is that actually alluding to? And some people think that it's alluding to Judgment Day. If you're reading this in context, you know in verses 21 through 23, he just has been speaking about Judgment Day. And so it could be Judgment Day, that could be the storm. Others think maybe this storm actually is a, represents just the hardships, trials, and tragedies of life. And, you know, it could be uh, the cancer diagnosis, uh, the loss of a job, the death of a dream, you know, the loss of a loved one. Either way, I, I, you know, personally, I'm not real sure <laughs> what he, the storm represents. I think it's probably one of those two things, or perhaps it's both, but he, here's what I am sure of. Uh, Jesus is clear that the storm is coming. He doesn't use the word if. He doesn't say, okay, if the rain comes and if the streams rise and if the winds blow, he says, and the rain came and the streams rose. The winds blew. Like I said, Jesus is a realist, and I appreciate his honesty He can diagnose the human condition in a way that we we would like to to pretend isn't accurate, but we know through experience it is. The storm does come. And ultimately, after this life, there will be Judgment Day. And that's why he says it matters what you build your life on, because if you're building your life on practicing his teachings, he says, when that storm comes, you will not fall. Now be clear. He does not say you will not experience a storm. The wise person and the fool experience the storm. Practicing Jesus' teachings do not keep you away from the storm, they get you through it in one piece. But he says if you're not building your life on practicing our teachings, then when the storm comes, you will fall with a great crash. And as if that's not ominous enough, that word great in Greek is the word megale. It's where we get our word mega from. You, your house, will fall with a great crash. Now, one other thing to point out here, just a way of observation. The word house in Jesus' day and age was a metaphor for your life. You've heard me already kind of use it that way. But like that, back in that day, uh, a, a house represented a kind of a lot more of our lives, right? Because, so, you know, the generations, multiple generations lived in a house together. And the house was not sold, right? It was passed down on your ancestral land from generation to generation and generation. And, and most people kind of ran their, li- their business from, or at least a part of their business, from their house, you know, whether agriculture or, or you know, I mean, any, any kind of business. And so the house, like, it encompassed a lot of your life, and so it became this metaphor for your life, your house, your life. In fact, if you think about it, we, we still use that metaphor some ways. It's a little outdated, but if you hear someone say, hey, you better get your house in order, what does that mean? You better get the stuff of your life together, right? Like, that's so that's what he's saying here. And he said, so if, if you do not hear, I mean, if you, do, if you hear, sorry, but you do not put into practice what I've been teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, then when the storm comes, and it'll come, then you're going to fall. Your house, your life is going to fall with a great mega crash. And then he exits stage right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess this would be stage right. But... <laughs> with that all in mind friends i think we're ready to ask the question why in the world does he end the sermon on the mount in this way like why end it with this 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 haunting warning of a great crash well he does this because he's trying to wake us up He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to sober us and he's trying to move us to action. See, Jesus ends his sermon this way uh, because he wants to get you and me to respond to what he has said with more than just a nod of our head and an amen and man, that message was so good. I can't wait to hear what he has to say next week. And then we go about and live our life the exact same way Life as usual. So, he doesn't want us to do that with what he said. In fact, he wants to move us to do two things in particular. Okay? The first thing is this He wants to move us to evaluate what we're building our life upon. He wants to get us to evaluate what we're building our life upon. See, he wants to get you to think about and identify what is the foundational way what is in a foundational way directing how you live and how you relate to others which is what much of the sermon on the mount is about so he wants to get you to evaluate if what he said is directing how you live or is literally anything else in a foundational way directing how you live and how you are relating to others Like, is your own sense of what's right and wrong, good and evil, wise and foolish, determining how you live? Is society's view of those things determining how you live? Or is what Jesus has said determining how you live? See, the first reason why Jesus ends the sermon in this way is because he's trying to move you to be wise, to be smart, to be thoughtful, to to be intelligent. For an intelligent person, a smart person is someone who evaluates what am i building my life on whereas a fool doesn't give thought to that at all he's trying to move us to be wise he wants you to be moved to evaluate what you're building your life on what are you building your life on friends second reason he uh, ends the Sermon on the Mount in this way. is because he wants to move us to actually put what he has said into practice. Right? Like That's the challenge here. Put it into practice. I think Jesus knows we need this stark warning of a great mega crash because he knows our propensity to hear something and even be moved by it emotionally and then go and do nothing about it. Can you all relate to that? I, I know I can we live in the information age we are bombarded by information all the time and it's too much for us to do with and so we end up usually doing nothing with it other than just feeling like we're informed (laughs) but our life hasn't changed we didn't act on it Jesus says hey hey I know that that's what you're prone to do don't do that with what I've just said don't just listen and then go about life as usual put it in to practice. And so he closes the sermon by warning us about the great crash. He does don't just listen and then go back to life as usual. Instead, put what I've said into practice, because if you don't, you're headed for that. But if you put what I've said into practice, then whatever storm comes your way, you'll be all right. You'll be left standing. See, Jesus knows that um Information alone doesn't prepare you for a storm because information alone doesn't lead to transformation. And friends, transformation is what Jesus is after. That's what he wants to see happen in our lives, specifically that we would be transformed into his likeness, into Christ-likeness. For when we... uh, become more and more like him we will survive the storm we'll be prepared for it we will have built our life our house upon the rock but oh the thing that we have kind of bought into in western culture and guilt very guilty of in the western church is that we have kind of latched on to the idea that transformation primarily comes through information. And it's just not true. And Jesus knows that that's not true. That you can't just think your way, sermon your way, podcast your way, read your way into Christlikeness. Which doesn't say that teaching, you know, isn't important. I, it's a big part of my job. I hope that there's some value here. Uh, I think about Jesus. He, came, he was a rabbi. Like He literally was a teacher. Like Teaching is important. Oftentimes, teaching, hearing what God has to say, is the beginning, the start of transformation. But friends, it is not the middle, and it is not the end. And so Jesus says... Uh, you need to put what I've said into practice. He emphasizes practice. In fact, he emphasizes it at the beginning and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us back in the fall, you, you may remember that back in uh, right before Jesus begins his, first, like four, first, or his 14 teachings they are found in the Sermon on the Mount, what the, he says this. He says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices these. And then, of course, he, as we just saw, ends the Sermon on the Mount by again stressing this idea of practice. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, like a wise man. So, Jesus emphasizes practice because it, he knows it's essential for transformation and he knows we won't withstand the storm without it. And do you know, uh, do you know what putting Jesus' words into practice requires? It requires practice. It does. It takes practice to put Jesus' teachings into practice. I wish that we could read Jesus' teaching and say, hey, do not worry about your life and be like, man, that's so good. All right. You know, (laughs) done, you know. Or we read Jesus' teachings about not lusting after women. Not to you know, objectify them and treat them as less than uh, made in the image of God and say, you're, God, Jesus, you're so right. Man, we should not do that. That, that is so lame <laughs> to do that. I'm done. I wish, I wish following his teachings in those areas and all the other 14 that he gives us in the sermon would be really that easy, but they are not. We know that they're not. It's not that we just need information, it's going to take Practice and t- doing this is going to take starting and failing and starting and tweaking and continuing and on and on, probably for our whole life. It, practicing Jesus's teachings will take practice. But you will progress as you practice. See, it, it, it's... <laughs> The, to go with Jesus' metaphor of building a house on the rock, you just you see practice uh, <laughs> doesn't uh, practicing the teachings of Jesus just like building a house doesn't happen overnight. But the more you do, the more you work on it, the more progress you will make. It takes practice. Now, Jesus not only emphasizes practice here, but he also tells us another essential element that's necessary for transformation, to become more like him, to become more like Christ. And that is not that we, it isn't just that we need information, we just need practice, but we also need to practice in community. We need each other to help us with this. And this is clear uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, except that uh, it's only clear in the Greek. It's not clear in the English translation, because uh, in proper English, we don't have a, a, a plural you, do we? Now, we Texans have figured out a way around that, because we're awesome. And so, but throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the, when almost every single time you see the word you, it's not a singular you, it's a plural you. So if a Texan had translated, you know, the the Sermon on the Mount, then you would read something like this. Like Jesus says, you are the light of the world. But it would actually read as, y'all are the light of the world. (laughs) Y'all as in Midtown Church. Y'all as in the Church of Austin or the Church in the World. Y'all are the light of the world. See, Jesus emphasizes over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount that it's going to take a community to help us become like him. It takes information and it takes practice and it takes practicing the way of Jesus together. And Jesus emphasizes one other element that's necessary for real transformation so that we'll make it through the big storm. And that is we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power and the presence of God himself to empower us to practice the way of Jesus. He emphasizes this at the last of his teachings. Remember chapter 7 verse 7 what's he say? He says, um, "Ask, and it will be given to you; seek, and you will find; knock, and the door will be open to you." So Jesus is telling us that uh, we that you need access to the person and power of God a power that is beyond you and beyond me to animate you from the inside out to live according to his life. You need the Spirit of God to empower you to build your house on the rock of his teachings. See, to build a house on a rock takes work, effort. It takes practice. It takes doing it. And to build a house on a rock takes a community. You're a fool to try to build a house alone. And it takes a power that comes from beyond us. It takes the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has been making that point throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and he closes it with this great warning because he wants us to recognize that if we think that anything has been accomplished by just hearing what he had to say, then we're more us. And he wants to see us Transformed. It's going to take information, and it's going to take practice. And it's going to take community, and it's going to take the Spirit of God. And then we can build a house on the rock, and we can withstand the storm. For this, this, is, this is why back in the fall, we reoriented our entire church around this idea of practicing the way of Jesus together. Because it's it's what Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on Mount. We say, okay, this is what this is what's necessary if we're going to become more and more like Christ. And so we, we say, okay, let's let's take this idea and let's let's infuse it through everything that we do. And we take our environments like this right here on Sunday morning. We say teaching the way of Jesus is important. So we have this time of teaching, but that's not the only thing we do because we know that's just kind of where it begins. It's certainly not where it ends. And so we said, okay, now we have huddles and. Our Our huddles are where we actually help each other practice the way of Jesus. And we have MCs or midtown communities or small groups that meet during the week. We say, okay, this is where we actually practice the way of Jesus together. This is where we form community, people in our lives that will help us do this together. And this is why in all of our environments, we pray and we teach each other or help each other depend on the spirit of God to empower us to continue to be transformed into the image of Christ because we know it takes all of that to be transformed but because of what Jesus has taught us and because of the Spirit's work in us and what he's given to us through this community with one another it's possible and as we become more and more like Jesus we know that Austin will become more and more like heaven but in order for us, for you, to really engage in that, it takes you leaning in. And it take, starts with you evaluating. What am I building my life upon? Is it what Jesus has said? Is it his teachings? Or am I just doing whatever I want to do? Or whatever the world's influencing me to do? Years ago, I uh, saw this picture it's a famous picture. You've probably seen it before from um, after uh, Hurricane Harvey hit the Texas Gulf. And uh, I think about the Sermon on the Mount every time I see this picture. Uh, the, the builder was interviewed because this picture was really famous, you know, went all over the place. Uh, the builder was interviewed, and, and he just said, yeah, I built uh, that house with that storm in mind. Jesus is saying, friends, are you building your life with a storm in mind? If you are, you will build it on the rock and the rock are my teachings. When that storm comes, you'll still stand. But if not, you'll fall with a great cry. So the question is, is what are you building your life upon? Now, before I wrap up, I've got one more, uh, one more question I think that we should wrestle with here, okay? And that is, uh, if you're like me, you regularly struggle with the question of, okay, Jesus, uh, why should I build my life upon your teachings? Like, because I feel like I know better than you do at times. Now, I wouldn't say that. Well, maybe I would say that. But I feel that. Chances are you all feel that too. And we struggle really trusting that Jesus' ways really are the rock that he claims them to be. We think, really, do you know best? If that's your question, then it's helpful to see that in the very end of Matthew chapter 7, kind of the last little commentary notes on the Sermon on the Mount, something is said there that can really encourage us to know why we can trust that what Jesus has to say really is the rock to build our lives upon. See, it it ends this way. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. See, the reason the crowds were amazed at his teaching is because he, as it says, taught as one who had authority. Now, I know that we are really averse to authority in our culture, okay? But listen, Jesus' authority wasn't rooted, wasn't a rooted in um, you know, a power play or didn't come from a power play or an org chart or some oppressive uh, system. That Jesus' authority uh, was rooted in the truth of his words and his ability to name reality and just put to language the way life actually works. And his authority came from his life example, For he lived what he taught, and there is an authority, a weight that comes with that. But most of all, his authority was rooted in who he is, that he is far more than just a rabbi or a great teacher. And he made that clear in his closing statements. See, some of Jesus' most blatant claims to be the embodiment of God himself, to be God and humanity in the same person are actually found right here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. For example, in verse 21, he claims that, I got it up here, he claims that on Judgment Day people will say to him, Lord, Lord. And that word Lord there is the Greek word kurios, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew word Yahweh. Hebrew name of God. So he says, people will come to me and they will say, Yahweh, Yahweh. They will say, God, God. And he says, on judgment day, the people that don't know him will be sent away from him. And that's a very bold claim because that's saying that on judgment day, he is actually the judge. And that the punishment is uh, being separated from him. Like, Jesus is making some really bold claims here to be God. And of course, in the passage we're looking at today, he, he says, look, look, if you, you, you know, my teachings are the foundation that you should erect your life on. I mean, these are all really bold claims, right? Listen, no rabbi had ever said that stuff before. That would have been blasphemy or at least delusional megalomania, right? Unless Jesus really is God. That would have been heresy unless Jesus' authority was truly rooted in the fact that he is the one who set the cosmos in motion and who designed and fabricated the human psyche who knows better than anybody else how human beings are to flourish and thrive and to live the life that we were designed to live. See, how, why can we trust that Jesus' teachings really are the rock to build our life upon? It's because Jesus' teachings are the very teachings of the God who created you and created me. It's because Jesus is God. But as if that is not enough reason, Jesus not only teaches us how to live, but then he goes and he lives the life that he's called us to live and then he dies the death that we deserve to die for our failure to live that way. See, why can we trust that Jesus' his words, his teachings really are the way to life? Because not, It's because he's God, but he's not just God. He's the God who loves you so much that he died for you. So you can trust him. So Jesus says... The wise man builds his house on the rock, the rock being practicing his teachings. But, and when the storm comes, it will not fall. But Jesus was the wise man, and he built his life. He practiced perfectly all that God's will is. But then he suffered the storm, and he fell with a great cry. That on the cross, Jesus suffered the mega storm. And he was torn to pieces. His body was broken. And his blood was spilled. We're told that when Jesus hung on the cross, there was earthquakes and the, (laughs) the sky went dark. That was the ultimate storm. And he was there, friends, not because he didn't practice not because he had wandered from the way of God. He was there because we have. That we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and so God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered the great storm on our behalf so that through his death and resurrection, our faith in him, we can make it through the storm okay in one piece. So He took the storm for us. That's why you can trust him. Because he's God, and he's the God who loves you that much. And so, friends, what are you building your life upon? Is it Jesus and his teachings? Or is it some kind of foolish idea that you know best? <laughs> that you know the best way to live. You know what's right or wrong. You know really what's good or evil. You know what's wise or foolish. Or the world does. Or your company does. Or your friends do. said, so what are you building your life upon? Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount this way because he wants you to wrestle with that. He wants you to consider that. He wants to move you to be wise. And then he wants to move you to put it into practice that you can be transformed into his image and so that you can withstand the storm. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.